0: All right, sit back, relax. It's time for another Laneway Talks. Well, we're talking to Tom Hosey today, one of our uh, Laneway artists who's been with us for quite a while. He has a rich history in the Australian music business and we're going to explore that a bit and see where he came from and then where he is today. Tom, are you there?
1: I'm here, Vince. How are you?
0: I'm very good, thanks. Um, Well, Tom, let's start off from... Um, I think for artist Tom uh, is presently with, he has his band called Remora, who we have a lot of titles released through Laneway. But we're going to go right back to the start and just explore a bit where where Tom's from. So where are you from, um, Australia or England? Or yeah, where?
1: well, from Melbourne.
0: Yeah, originally from Melbourne.
1: Yeah, born in Melbourne, and, and uh, yeah, the music started uh, when I was ten. Took up the drums, um, but it didn't really start till I joined a band called Argus. Well,
0: well, we're going to explore that a bit. I was going to, I was going to ask you before we get to where you, you know, you uh, joined your first band. I mean, yeah. where did you go to school, and was that, and was it a school of? I suppose, musical inspiration. Was was it kind of musical, or were there a lot of music-orientated people there?
1: Yeah, no, I went to St John's in Hawthorne. That's a pretty stock standard Australian Catholic school. Uh, The only music that went on there was the occasional marching band, Um, and I I guess I'd have to say that I did make my first pair of drumsticks drumsticks at that school, um, but didn't really participate in any... um, any musical activities there really was it was very standard education. I mean.
0: Well, when did you when, when, so, therefore, um, being at St. John's, obviously uh, a Catholic, I uh, hope it wasn't the Morris Brothers School, but anyway, well,
1: um, well, could have been. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> when did you get the inspiration, therefore, to ah. become a drummer?
1: Wow, look, the inspiration, I guess, would be uh, largely, once again, due to Argus, seeing Argus at a, a school concert, um, and that was a, a real turning point. Then um, they were also uh, uh, rehearsing a lot at the local community centres, which you know I tended to go down to from time to time, so it became a bit of a thing. Um, and they were certainly a bit of a thing around uh, that eastern side of Melbourne. So, look, just seeing seeing the band certainly caught my interest. And um, you know, but you all, all, obviously, Tom, you
0: obviously though you'd had a you'd had a, a a passion for music. I mean, not everybody has a passion for music, and you know they just listen to oh look, I'll use Triple M or whatever, or the likes, three X Y back then, and yeah. that's all they. All they know is what they're fed, um, yeah. and they've fed a lot of good bands, but that's all yeah. they're interested in. But therefore, yeah. what? When did you get that inspiration that well, you want to actually be part of making that music?
1: Oh, well, well, once again, I think I fiddled around, uh, you know, with drums to a degree, and you know, listened to records like every other kid. But when I saw Argus on stage, you know, I might have been not uh, twelve, I suppose. Yeah, I just got really—it really hit me that that was, you know, something that, um, you know, I thought was unusual, you know, yeah. enough to, to 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 get my attention. Yeah, I would—I would still have to say that you know seeing Argus on that stage as as a kid, you know, affected me, and um, you know, I was. You know, uh, inspired to at least have aspirations at that time. So
0: was so was drumming. That was your passion. Then you didn't kind of pick up a guitar and go, "You know, I'd like to
1: play." The no, guitar. no, 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 no. Drums, drums were the only thing at that time, and for a long time after that.
0: Was you know, Tom? So were you a, a self-taught drummer, or were you a taught drummer, a learnt
1: drummer? Uh-huh. No, I, I went to went to drum lessons for about two years, um, and I suppose I learnt the basics there. You know, um, it probably wasn't the greatest um, instruction I've ever had.
0: But you're a but sight reader, were you? You, you sight no,
1: read? I, look, I did. Yes, I, I did learn how to sight read, but I didn't have any use for it. Didn't find it very interesting, so that didn't last very long.
0: Yeah, so you got the uh, you got the rock and roll uh, addiction, didn't oh, you? Not the classical yeah. addiction.
1: Oh yeah, no, no, definitely. I, I was to make a lot of noise.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So, well, let now let's go and well, let's let's hit then and talk about. You said Argus were was the first yeah. band that you joined. Um, what was that? What kind of style of music yeah. were they, and what did they do?
1: Yeah, well, I guess they were sort of a hard rock band of the time. You know, doing um, you know, classic British stuff. But uh, the real story with that was, as I said earlier, I was, you know, sort of um, super impressed when I saw them and sort of became a bit of a fan um, around the area. And then one day, um, the guitarist, Peter, who I knew sort of, you know, through association, he came over to my place and said, you know, play us a song, I want to know how you play. And the next day he turned around and said, do you want to join the band? So that was a real shock. What, what, what,
0: what? Why Had they lost their drummer? What had happened?
1: Um, I think they'd lost the singer and the drummer was transitioning to vocals. So there was a, a drum position that had become, you know, vacant in the band.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. All of a sudden. Right, so how long did that last for, Tom?
1: Um, so, so I joined the band and I did – one school gig with them which was you know super stressful but you know really was the beginning of me playing live um and uh, you know getting a taste for for that yeah. but it wasn't much longer after that that they decided to change the format of the band and they brought in another guitarist so it went from a, a three-piece to a five-piece kind of quick
0: See, i mean you did mention before english bass type uh, did you? Did you say that? style
1: of Music, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So what we're moving towards is that twin guitar type thing, yeah?
1: Um, yeah, look, I, I guess I don't want to speak on behalf of the guys too much, but it was definitely, you know, Thin Lizzy was in the background there, you know, all that sort of thing.
0: I mean, what, time, what when are we talking, 77, 78, 79?
1: Um, we're talking 75.
0: Wow, yeah, okay. Yeah, definitely Thin Lizzy, Kiss, um... Bag Company, all that kind of. Yeah.
1: We're yeah. um, right into deep that. Per- deep yeah. Purple. Gotcha. You know.
0: Yeah, Deep yeah. Purple Burn and whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, okay, so how long did Argus last for and where did so it go Argus, to after well,
1: that? Well, Argus didn't last very long. It, it, it transitioned with the, with the new members into a band called Stealer. Yep. And um, and then that, as a, as a one, two, three, four, five piece, um. Lasted, I would say about two to three years. Um,
0: right now, yeah. well, I just yeah. want to—I just want to tell the audience that um, if you want to look up Argus on, I'll let you Spotify anyway. Um, I think quite a lot comes up. So, if you put in Argus, Rags to Riches, which is one of the songs, then you will get this particular Argus to come up um, with Steeler. Um, I, I should look that up, Tom, and just see, well, what comes up with Steeler? Because, once again, there's a lot of bands called Steeler. Yeah. Uh, so if I – I'll do that while we're here, talking to everybody and talking to you, and go, yeah. uh, Steeler, um, what would be a song? Um, uh, I think
1: um, – well, I don't know. You've got the playlist there, Vince. You've got a on that. Yeah, you're right. But while you look, yeah. look I, I would say – you know, so you've got transforming into Steeler. The drummer from that became the singer for Steeler, yeah. Um, and then I came in and became the drummer for Steeler, and we had a, a new guitarist named Tom Ludden. So there was two guitarists and Joe Mastro on bass, and Peter Cook on the other guitar, who was the original guitarist. Just Oh yeah.
0: Now I've now I've got here um, if if uh, if the audience plug in Steeler S T E A L E R and down and out over you, or ten to nine, um, yep. or yep. the junkie, the then you yep. will come up with Steeler. So it's and then you'll be listening to the right band. So yeah. so yeah. Steeler, and I see there too. You actually did some covers of again. We're back to that English rock,
1: yeah, uh,
0: essentially. So um, oh well, American, yeah, too. a lot of
1: covers. Yeah. You know, like like I say, Tim Lucy, Queen, all those bands of that era. Um, and the band um, would rehearse ferociously, yeah. you know, very dedicated, and we would play relentlessly. Um, you know, for those three or four years, we did so many gigs around town. Um, it was really, really a, a, a strong start to um, a, a drumming career. And,
0: and what a fantastic time it was too, Tom. That you could actually oh, yeah. that you could play that yes. many times and get yes. gigs. And um, yes. I presume if um, for the younger audience you don't understand that back in those days you had to walk in with your PA system and that was a big PA system so you'd actually need a road crew, correct?
1: That's right, yes, yeah. Even for a band that wasn't getting paid a lot, we had our own truck, our own PA, uh, own road crew and so it was sort of small time touring but you were doing all the classic beer barns and clubs in St Kilda um, and, you know, travelling out to the uh, to the countryside every now and then for a bit of fun and games out there.
0: Okay. Um, so, all right, we've got Argus and Steeler. When, you know, one of the questions here is when did you consider that you'd actually gone professional, Tom? Um,
1: well, when I first got paid, I guess, which was, you know, probably later than it should have been. But, yeah, look, I, I didn't actually consider myself professional, so I joined up... Um, uh, with James Freud back in 80, 1979, I think.
0: Well, that's so. That's so That's after Steeler, correct?
1: Yeah. So we went. Went from I was in Steeler for those few years, and then the band split up, and it became a band called Live Wire, uh, with the guitarist and the uh, with Tony, the guitarist, another fellow called Peter Houston, and, um, and
0: and and just while you're saying great. that, we're referring yep. to Tony Lugden and Tony Lugdon yep. was the original guitarist in Pseudo Echo, correct? Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that was. So that became Live Wire. How long did yeah, that last yeah. for?
1: That lasted for about six to eight months. But we did a lot of a lot of work, and it was quite a good band. But through uh, through, whilst that band was sort of you know cruising along, I got a call from uh, Freud's manager, who I'd met over the years playing around Melbourne.
0: So, hold on but now. We're referring to James Freud. So, if that was happening then, was he still in Teenage Radio Stars or had I they... believe so. Yes. And that was with Sean Kelly. Uh,
1: I would yeah. say so. I'm yeah. pretty sure. He was He was working on his um, first solo album at the same time. So, you know, that might be a little bit of overlap there. But it's hard to say.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So, therefore, Sorry. so you moved to James Freud, yeah?
1: Yeah. So, I, I get this call from his manager, Barry, and uh, That
0: wouldn't be the 24. famous Barry Earl.
1: Yeah, it's one and the same, yeah.
0: Oh, that'd be... True, uh, yeah, There's this, yeah. That, we'll talk about those stories at the pub. We'll never put them on here yeah, on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway,
1: Barry, Barry rings me up and says, Tom, don't you join the band, we're going to England. We'll be there in six months. What do you say? Uh, I said, yeah, stop pulling my leg. <laughs> but sure enough, he had me down for an, uh, for a, uh, an audition Um and he said, do you know any guitarists? And I said, I do know a guitarist. So I invited Tony down, Tony Lugton. Yeah. And uh, and we had a, an audition with James and their bass player, Mick, um, and their keyboard player, Roger, um, in St Kilda at Barry's home. And uh, it, it just blew up. You know, James was throwing himself against the wall. Tony was ripping his guitar. And it was just a great little session. So we just joined the band from then on. And off we went.
0: Wow. So... Um, that being what, 79?
1: That was about 79.
0: Right, we so, sort of so you... We around the
1: traps for about six months.
0: But hold on, had you had a number one hit by then?
1: No, no, this is pre-all of that. We were just, um, the next uh, next incarnation of James Freud at that point.
0: Oh, really? Then, so, oh, so yeah. the, the band morphed?
1: Yeah, from, yeah, teenage radio stars, whatever he was doing there, into the radio stars, James Freud and the radio stars. Yeah with that lineup Um, and that was going well. They were really exciting days doing the Tiger Lounge and the London Tavern and, you know, all the other clubs around town. But that was very exciting, that period. And then Barry got us hooked up with um, a tour with Gary Newman.
0: In Australia?
1: In Australia. It was Gary's first Australian tour. And and that uh, created an opportunity for some notoriety, um gary took on the band as like a like a like a protege invited us overseas to do some work um which we eventually did go over there and and, and created an album that wasn't really fit for release but that's a long story
0: so this is pre-modern girl
1: correct um and whilst we were over there spending some time in london uh single uh, shot up the charts and uh the record company decided, you know, drop everything, come back, let's promote the album.
0: Right, gotcha. Okay, so that so you over to England and then record some, well, essentially demos then, were they? Yeah. And um, then back to Australia, which one of them became a hit. Yep. Yeah. And then off you went. So you recorded the album here?
1: Um, no, the album was already recorded that got released under James Freud. Right. right, which was Breaking Silence. That was already recorded. It was in the can. We were messing around overseas with Gary at that point in time and um, eventually Mushroom released the single whilst we were overseas um, and the single took off and therefore uh, Mushroom said, come on, you guys, get back here. We need to promote this thing.
0: Tell me something. So before you went to England, right, yep. um, and you're playing around the traps here, what kind yep. of audience were you pulling? Was it big yet?
1: Um, look, it was uh, it wasn't huge, but it was certainly um, uh, you know fanatical fans.
0: Well, like fifty percent capacity at venues,
1: at least. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Because I remember seeing James Freud in Berlin, right? Yeah. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, I think it was in Berlin. I don't even remember the name of the pub, but it was in Berlin.
1: Yeah.
0: And. Uh, I would gather that was an 800 capacity, and that was jam-packed, Tom. And I mean jam-packed.
1: Well, when we came back to promote...
0: you there, Tom? Sorry, So so you dropped out there, Tom.
1: Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, that's good. Okay, when we came back, we'd been off the road for about three months and the single was shooting up the charts. We took a month off, took on a new guitarist by the name of Randy Bulb. Oh, yeah. And then we started... Then we started to tour as James Freud and Berlin. So,
0: who, but who was in the band then? So, you, James, who was on bass?
1: Uh, Mick Prague was still on bass. Yeah. Roger Mason was on keyboards. Yep. Um, and when after after the trip to the UK um, and the singles starting to take get traction, we took on uh, a new guitarist, Randy Ballpen, who had been working with Mondo Rock.
0: Right. Gotcha.
1: So that was the lineup at that stage. Now, when that lineup went on the road. We hadn't played for four months, and the single had been going up the charts. So we just we just um, broke records all over Australia. It was packed out wherever we went. Yeah, really exciting time. Yeah,
0: I mean he was a very he was a real showman too. So what you were getting was I mean you're getting it it did if I remember correctly it sounded really good, Uh, and it was quite um, quite loud in comparison to the record. The record wasn't quite as loud, so it was loud live. And on top of that, you've got a front man who was quite charismatic and very energetic and theatrical. And, I mean, you know, they're hard to find, and so therefore on a live basis you're going to get a fantastic show essentially. Yeah. Uh, and and, well, I think, and the band looked great too. I mean,
1: yeah. it was a oh, It was definitely a, a, a punchy band when when I joined the band with um Katie we we brought, brought that um that rock and roll edge to the band. So it was a lot more um energetic um and gutsy. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. James was um was definitely feeding off that energy, and I think that's why we were selected in the first place, just to put a bit of a boot in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So, okay, so you're back in Australia. So, you know, breaking records at venues. It's all going great. What goes wrong?
1: Right, okay. So record company had a major debt with us being overseas for so long. They decided the best best, uh, route was to keep the band on the road whilst it was making money. So we slogged uh, the circuit for about a year and a half with not much time off to write. And when we did finally get time off to write, the record company was really looking for more single, poppy singles rather than the sort of more alternative that we'd grown into uh, creating. Uh, that uh, really dampened James's spirits and basically he dissolved the band um, out of being disillusioned with well, the whole when you
0: think, and When you situation. think about it, Tom... Um, you know, it's we've seen this all before where yeah. uh where, you know, bands are in a sense raped and pillaged because they're told to continue touring to deliver yeah. to deliver yeah, funds. Yeah. Uh if I remember yeah. correctly, that's how the models went out. They did their last yeah, tour yeah. to pay off debt. Yeah. And that's right. Yeah. And so it's like, Well, you've got all this debt, you just gotta to keep touring. Um, yeah. and how how bad is that when you're not going in to actually do recording? I mean, these days, if that's the schedule you've got, you'd still yeah. be booking in into studios in every town yeah. you're in and putting yeah, demos yeah. down,
1: right? Yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: To go that long without getting ready for an next record, yes. the death knell was already there, quite frankly, wasn't it?
1: Well, absolutely. You could be doing nine shows a week, you know, Um that sort of work uh, you've got very little energy to do anything else and if you do manage to get time off you might have a few days in a rehearsal studio to come up with your next hit not not the best way to do business
0: yeah yeah gotcha so so that's it um by that stage called James Freud in Berlin there's an end to that so what happens where did you go
1: Um, Well, everybody was shocked by James' decision. Um, James took off overseas and kind of disappeared. Um, Myself and the keyboard player did a bit of auditioning around town for a while. Um, And, you know, you do the odd sessions here and there and, you know, pretend you're you're doing something. But at the end of it, we really looked at what we wanted to do or, you know...
0: who was this, the keyboard player? That's Roger Mason. Well,
1: yeah, Roger Mason and myself, we sort of... You know, really did take the attitude that we what we're going to carry here, carry on in Australia, or do we? What do we want to do? So we both decided. Look, you know, I think we going to, if we're going to start somewhere, let's start in in London, where we really felt their roots were. Right. So yeah. we both moved over to the, the UK.
0: When are we talking? Uh,
1: that was 19, uh, 19 the beginning of
0: 1981.
1: Right. Okay. Or, early 81. yeah. Yeah. So we go over there and, you know, land there for a few dollars in our pockets and we go, well, what the fuck do we do? (laughs) Anyway, eventually, funny enough, we were approached by people from Australia to uh, do sessions on a new project, um, which was funded by EMI. That became um, a very lucrative uh, uh, period where we, we spent about three months doing demos for an album for another fellow. That was well paid. Um, Roger actually went off to uh, do some work uh, with that artist. I went off and started working with some other people. And over the next few years, um, you know, Roger and myself spent a fair bit of time in the UK uh, uh, following various avenues. He also did some work with Gary Newman. I started doing more session work with EMI over there.
0: Yeah. Did you, uh, was this the same like, period that Jeff Duff was over there?
1: Don't know. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. It was, it was like a, um, a revolving door over there for Australians. They'd be coming and going every day. Right. Um, I remember the birthday party being very popular at the time, which was a great thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, for Roger and me, Roger eventually hooked up with Gary again and did a bit of work with Gary and then eventually went back to Australia. I decided to stay in the UK. Um, as I said, I started doing a fair bit of work for AMI doing sessions I eventually joined a band called Scary Thebes for about six months, which eventually released some records through AMI, but I'd left them uh, and moved on at that time. Yeah. Um, I could go on quite a bit, but I'll try and give you a quick timeline of the UK business. I went from that session working to working with a band called Action Faction, um, which was a funk band. That lasted about six months. Did some work with uh, producer Jeremy Green. Yeah. Um, who had a a pretty good reputation. Um, I then got poached from that band into a band called Indians in Moscow.
0: Yeah. Who now, now, we've released Indians in Moscow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was an interesting step for me, um, though they had a very wealthy backer, lots and lots of money. So I went from days in in Australia um, touring as your bread and butter to literally sitting in studio and writing and working with producers for your bread and butter. Uh, and that was the difference between Australia and the UK. At that time in the UK, they spent a lot of time and money on um, developing artists, and, and that might be bringing in producers and, um, you know, songwriters and whatever. So it was a whole different story.
0: How many, I mean, how many years had you been over there for?
1: That was about two years. And then, um, as I say, I by Indian Moscow's record company, and I spent the next three-odd years um, under their umbrella.
0: So you were there for um, about, what, six or eight
1: years? No, five years in total. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, but that, that was a great experience. Um, well, why, well, why
0: come back to Australia when you've virtually settled, oh, settled in the UK?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I didn't have any plans on coming back, that's for sure, but I didn't also have... A British visa. Oh, so,
0: okay.
1: Yeah, so I was continuously um, having to renew my uh, status over there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it you is. essentially kicked out, really.
1: That's it. Yeah. Kick, kick that man out of London.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So therefore, you return back to Australia, and that's got to be what, mid 80s, a little bit late? late
1: mid- 86, 87, I yep. came back.
0: Okay, yeah. so you come back to Australia, yeah. anything happening, or you just come back
1: and it's a back. clean slate. Yeah, clean slate for a bit, but I, I got asked to join a band called Geisha, so I hopped onto that little train for for a year or two. And
0: now Geisha had a top twenty, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I didn't know much about them; I hadn't been in the country. Yeah, but we did do a lot of touring. Um, so it was back on the touring train. Yeah, it was that. That was quite good. It was quite busy though.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that eventually ended. Uh, I'm just trying to put my timeline together here, around...
0: I mean, I remember seeing Geisha with you playing. It'd be the uh, ve- the venue.
1: Yeah, yeah, all right. played all those places. It'd be yeah.
0: like 88.
1: Oh, well, yeah, actually, um, I brought a friend of mine back from the UK, a guy called Rob Dean, who was uh, the guitarist for Japan.
0: All right, so David Sylvan and Japan, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, same band. So right. they're guitarist.
0: So you'd become friends with him in the UK, had you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd worked with um, some of the stuff um, that I was doing over there Yeah, uh, with me, etc. on various bands. And then so um, we stayed in contact and I, he um, he came over and worked with Geisha for a while, which eventually morphed into us leaving Geisha and getting a record deal with Virgin.
0: Now he'd um, And he'd also written with, who was that? Artist head.
1: Oh, um, Shania Sinead Sinead O'Connor. O'Connor. That's yeah, yeah. right. So yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, all. Did, yeah. So that's all
0: happened, yeah. and therefore yeah, yeah. you formed a new band.
1: Yeah. So out of Geisha, we we decided to start up our own band. That band's called the Slow Club. That actually got a deal with Virgin International around nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. Um, and that sort of. Well, if I on if one. I
0: remember correctly, Tom. Uh, at the time, Mushroom were very interested. If I remember correctly, yep. I think it was Mushroom that brought Rob Dean into Australia and sponsored oh, possibly. him. And, possibly. And uh, if I can remember correctly, yeah. in the foyer of <laughs> Mushroom were about eight guitars in the
1: foyer. Yeah, really.
0: All being transported over. Um, yeah,
1: right.
0: So, so you obviously had the rounds of the record companies. It was one of those bidding kind of situations, Yeah. yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thing um, because uh, you know I, I'd never gone out, uh, you know, um, sourcing record companies for record deals, but um, there was a bit of bit of help behind us to do that. Yeah. So the next thing, next thing we knew, we had a deal, um, and we were recording. Uh, the, I guess the thing to say about the Slow Club was that uh, there was only three of us. We weren't a, a, a performing band at the time. The record company had taken enough confidence in us to record an album first. Yeah. And then try and promote that via, you know But
0: you'd uh, obviously put demos together.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. But well, we did demos. Once again I hooked up with Roger Mason, who knew Rob as well and the three of us basically uh, you know, got the demos um organised and then we found a singer. Roger then decided to opt out and go into film producing, which was, you know, a shame that he wasn't involved, but um he did play on the album. Um but uh, we found a singer, Andrew Sefton, and that uh, enabled Rob and myself and Andrew to have enough of a band to get the deal, um, and then we hired musicians through the recording of the album.
0: I mean, you know, that's a, di- that's a different point in time, really, because when you can afford to uh, get a deal, there's only three of you, yep. so there's no real band as, as such, no, and no. if you're going to tour, you're going to hire musicians. I mean, you would not have a hope of doing that today.
1: No, and it wasn't really done that way back then either. Really? In Australia, you would normally be playing around and have an established uh, following and a record company You'd say, okay, this looks like they know what they're doing. They've got a following. Maybe we can sell some records, right? Yeah. Um, nobody knew us at all. It was purely the uh, the confidence and uh, gamble for Virgin that the songs were selling.
0: Uh, but it paid off. I mean, you had a hit yeah. to start with, didn't you?
1: Yeah, look, we had had a good start to it. Um, um, It didn't really go the way we thought it would go. I think the record company's uh, a little bit surprised that it didn't take off more than it did. But once again, you know, the public's a hard one to crack. You never know what's going to go.
0: Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, it was a top 20 hit uh, followed up with a second signal. No, I think it was a top 10 hit. Then the second signal was a a single was a top 20. And then it... And it kind of started to peter out, yeah. didn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, th- and the band band had a few problems, but like every band. Do you reckon? Does.
0: Do you reckon though? Do you think that was because it, it essentially it wasn't really a band in a such as such? Because you're saying, if I kind of hear correctly, there it was kind of put together. Um, you you didn't do all the touring prior, so therefore no. you didn't. You, you weren't close-knit like a lot of bands are because no. they're in vans and hotel rooms yeah. together. And yeah, yeah. then you have some success and then yeah. you've got hired musicians in. It's fairly yeah. difficult, I think, to develop a relationship uh, and a bonding that way. I mean, it really is, I think.
1: Certainly a different way. Um, it's not unheard of, though. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. it's just who's writing the music and, and who's... Um, you know, put the effort in from the word go, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd known Rob for many years by that time. Um, the singer, I didn't really know at all. Really? Um, and and it was very much new for him. So there was that, yeah. I suppose. It was his first substantial band. Yeah. But I think more than anything, that band was the wrong band for the time. Coming into the you know late 80s, early 90s, things yeah. were getting pretty rocky and grungy, yeah. and we were classified as adult contemporary. Yeah, did you do any
0: major tours, huh? Was there any
1: major Yeah, yeah, we, we, we toured with Steve Winwood. Um, yeah. I remember that tour was quite good. And there was a few with um, some of the Australian larger acts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So we did tour around a bit, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, gotcha. So what therefore, okay, what happens?
1: So anyway, um, Virgin uh, I get dissolved in the country as Virgin International.
0: That would have been we when get- they were sold. Yeah, it would have yeah, been when they yeah, were sold.
1: Yeah, AMI, um, bought us I think or took us over yep. in, in one fashion or another. No interest. Then, no interest. And then I think they they didn't really have the interest to, to back any further projects. Yeah. So they just let the contract run out from my memory.
0: Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So therefore what what happened, Tom? What did you
1: well, do? I, I, Little, I think Rob went back to the UK.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I took a little hiatus, and then I hooked up with um, a money gig with the Door Show. Oh, Absolutely yeah, like yeah. the Door Show.
0: Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Gotcha.
1: So, which, which was a good money earner at the day. So I was, I was off just making money after that.
0: So therefore, yeah, off making money. So what happens that between brings, that, then and? Rim so that brings
1: us, brings us up to about ninety one. Yeah, at which time I. Um, uh, got married and
0: had kids. So you've done the start the family um, scenario, yeah. and therefore yeah,
1: yeah. you need so just,
0: regular money coming in. So yeah, and you need a car, yeah. and you need school yeah, fees, yeah. and yeah, 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 gotcha. All right. So yeah,
1: out of the music industry
0: and um, off working. Yeah. Okay. So therefore, uh, we get to okay. Let's work up to Remora, and um, I think yes. uh, that would have been maybe seven years ago.
1: Yeah, I'm particular.
0: And, I think you're right. and yeah, now that I go through my notes, that goes back to therefore um, Fabio Versace, which brings you back to Argus and Steeler. Yeah, yeah. And you start recording, and uh, I remember at the time you said you wanted to do a tribute record to Glen Hughes. We're all big Glen Hughes. Um, fans. Uh, Yeah, fans and trapeze fans. So yeah, you wanted yeah. to do a trapeze Glen Hughes. Now, I'm not into yeah. tribute records, but I thought, you know, yeah. nobody would have done one on trapeze, De- yeah, yeah. definitely not on Glen Hughes. So no. I-, I went, wow, this could be interesting. And I knew what Fabio was like as a singer, a sensational yeah. singer, uh, and had yeah. a very much a Led Zeppelin voice, not so much the Glen Hughes, but the Led Zeppelin, but could cut across the two. And then yeah. you delivered that record to me. Um, yeah. And uh, and at that stage, I'd only started, we'd started Third Verse, which was the first incarnation yeah. of Laneway Music, and um, and we released that, and we thought it was absolutely sensational. We just couldn't believe the quality. And you'd recorded that yourself. You'd done it. You were the yeah. producer, yeah. the engineer, yeah. and yeah. Um, we were blown away. And so that then uh, brought you to the, to the Led Zeppelin tribute. And yeah. I, I think at the time to let everybody know, I, I begged Tom, "Don't do a Led Zeppelin tribute. It's a hard one to cut. You know, you're really yeah. up against the best." And um, it, you know, you said you wanted to do it, and again, it just was fantastic. This record um, is is just doing well. I mean, it's and it's because yeah. not only is it a fantastic musicianship, and may I add that we come back to those old days of Argus and Steeler and yep. James Freud yep. and who have we got but Tony Lugden from yep. you know Shudo Echo who's playing yep. guitar and, and wow, does he cut the mustard, I mean, uh, guitar-wise. Yeah, well, just,
1: just for Tony, he, he did pretty much all the guitar work except for a little bit on one song which John Delimore did. Yeah. Um, but he also did all the bass. Fabulous work with the bass and getting the right sounds. You know, it's not easy. Yeah.
0: Yep.
1: um And and uh, an old friend of mine uh, from earlier bands, a guy by the name of Tony Featherstone.
0: Oh yeah, Tony, who plays with uh, Jimmy Barnes a lot and whatever, and, yeah,
1: and noise noise works and yep. a whole bunch of things. Yeah. He 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 was uh, uh, very prominent on the um, Glenn Hughes tribute album. Uh, for the keyboard work, and his work was sensational. I have to say that.
0: Well, I say to everybody, you know, do yourself a favour and have a listen to it because it is fantastic. Um, and then from there on, it's just been release after release. I mean, I've never seen anybody so prolific. It just the the releases just keep coming, Tom. So obviously well, the creative juices have gone nuts. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm a lucky man. I, I've got a business that uh, allows me to indulge myself.
0: Yeah, gotcha.
1: So, so I've been able to get some decent studio equipment.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: And I ha- and I have the time, but uh, you know, I still love writing and I love uh, recording. I do a little bit of guitar, bass, and keyboards myself more these yeah, days. Yeah. But I get, I had the luxury of tapping into friends like John Dalymore. Yeah. Fantastic guitarist. Yeah. just Unbelievable. His uh, work with uh, John English and his background is is substantial and well, amazing. Well,
0: you know, John Dallymore was Red House, and Red House yeah, yeah. were, you know, yeah. what an yeah. album. If we could ever yeah. release that, it'd be a miracle, yeah. I tell you. Um, yeah. What a great record, but, that's yeah, a, yeah that's what a, a famous pleasure. name.
1: What a pleasure to work with a guitarist of that calibre. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm just lucky in that regard that I've, I've been able to build a studio and, and have a variety of musicians come in and... Um, You know, happy to play and and work. Not to mention Steve Morgan has played on a lot of stuff. Ex-bass player from Icehouse. Great bass player. Um, Andy Burns has done a lot of keyboard work. Yeah. and I've also had various other people that I won't go into come in and work in the studio and, and done some work for other artists in the studio. But like you say, I've been lucky to have the time to indulge myself.
0: Yeah, fantastic, Tom. Well, I suppose that brings us to um, to a bit of a conclusion. Uh, yeah. For everybody listening, uh, Remora, um, Remora, you can look them up. They're, they do come up. Quite easily, you know, we're working with the digital yep. world. I and mean, if I yep. uh, put in here Remora, which I'm doing into um, Spotify, it comes up with yeah. Remora Artist, and people should look the latest release being, uh, I'll tell you right now, It Begins. And that is the latest release there is about, uh, let me have a look at how many records we've got. It Begins is the current set of releases. <laughs> Then you have, um, well, there is one song on its own, What Is and What Should Never Be, which is a Led Zeppelin song. Um, and uh, then we go to Secondment, which is another album. And then we go to How Many More Times. Uh, this And what we're rolling into is a whole new album. There are singles up there, but there is a new record coming mm. called um, yeah. Loud From London which incorporates a lot of these singles that were released. That takes, yep. yep. And then we have uh, a tribute to Led Zeppelin and then we have um, a tribute to Glenn Hughes and Trapeze and there will be the new album that will congregate a lot of the releases for Tom coming out in the next month or two and uh, I presume just song after song because we work these days in a digital world and we try to release every month, correct? So, yep. Tommy, we, uh, we look forward to new releases. Thanks for giving us your time. Uh, everybody, Tom Hosey from Melbourne, Australia, um, and one of the uh, favoured uh, Laneway artists who we love to listen to here in the office. Thanks very much, Tom.
1: And My pleasure to be on the events, and thanks for all your support.
0: Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
1: Yeah, buddy. Well, there you have it, another Laneway Talks. If you enjoyed that,
0: just search Laneway Talks for more great conversations. G'day folks, Mark Allen here and... The Ox, David Schwartz. Uh, and we've started a brand new podcast called... A Couple of
1: Blokes, A Couple of Beers,
0: and we're just chewing the fat.
1: Couple of Blokes,
0: a Couple of Beers, with Ox and Marco.
1: I'm thinking about whitening my teeth just so when I smile... There's a new episode every Wednesday. Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do. <laughs> it's a stupid loaded question. <laughs> a Couple of Blokes, a Couple of Beers, with David Schwartz and Mark Allen. I'm eating the kids' maltese. It's You're a eating of, a Christmas present. I am a piece
0: of garbage. <laughs> Listen wherever you get your podcasts.